Anyway, I have my notes up. We want to move on. Yeah. Yeah, we need to because right now, I if I blink or close my eyes, I'm I'm picturing Bert and Ernie like dying like, in a ball yeah, of fluff. So yeah, Bert and Ernie sitting on Barbara's chairs, getting <laughs> beheaded by by whatever uh, A or B list a- actors available to play Sweeney. Let's say Rami Malek. <laughs> okay, we can go with that. Hello and welcome to episode 73 of Rhythm Encounter, the RPG Fan Music Podcast. So I'm your host, Mike Salvato, and today we're going to be talking about NES music, which I think is something everyone here today is really excited about. Oh yeah. So joining me today, um, I have the other two hosts of our other podcast at RPG Fan. So we have John O'Logan. Hello there. And Mike Solosi. I'm the lepidus of this triumvirate, unfortunately. I was going to go with Avengers Endgame, but okay. <laughs> uh, that means I'm the I'm the Michelle of this Destiny's Child, I guess. Also, if, if that anal- analogy is more helpful. I mean, is that good? Is that who you want to be? No one wants to be Lepidus or Michelle. Oh, well, pick someone that you like. So that would make you the Hawkeye. Oh dear. Oh, I feel sorry for Clint now. Sure, I'm, I'm I'm the Hawkeye or the Aquaman, as it were. Aquaman's awesome. Well, yeah. Are we talking like you know? Super Friends Orange Aquaman or Jason Momoa Aquaman? I'm talking Batman Brave and the Bold Aquaman. Okay, that yeah, that Aquaman is maybe the best Aquaman. Excelsior. <laughs> he's amazing. It's He's the best part of that show. Well, there you go. All right, we're going to use something positive. All right. Well, anyway, yeah, so again, we're talking about NES music today. We've been talking about doing some console-specific ones for years now, and it was always a question of where do we start? And while the NES is not the very first, you know, console or platform for video games it was the first one for a lot of us playing and there's obviously a lot of a lot of material there for us so that seemed like a good starting point somehow i don't think you would have gotten the panel quite as easily for a magnavox odyssey episode of rhythm encounter probably not not a ton of rpgs on the atari 2600 no so yeah i don't know i guess there is there's a case to be made for the msx um but that that's true doesn't help a lot of you know, English-speaking players. We at least decided to start with the, with the decade in which most of us were born. Exactly. Yeah, and uh, I think it's a, I think it's a console that you know most of us have a tremendous amount of nostalgia for. And the second we ever hear the like the boops and the beeps, uh, we recognize it. We're like, oh yeah, that's an NES. Even if it's you know could be like a Master System or something like that, it's, we still recognize it as like the eight-bit system. Exactly. So, yeah. Uh, so we have six songs today, or seven when you count the you know quote-unquote secret bonus track at the end. Um, before we get to that, Jono, you wanted to say a little something today, right? Yeah, I did. Uh, I figured that, I know this is an RPG music podcast. I would have said something on Random Encounter, but, you know, again, music podcast. Uh, a few days ago, Stephen Sondheim died. And um, for those who know Stephen Sondheim, he is considered to be the greatest composer of music theater in the 20th century. Um, and I would be in full agreement with that. Uh I went to, like, I mean, I was always in theater. I was, I did theater when I was a kid. I went to theater school as a, in my teenage years, I eventually went to college for music theater and got my master's in music theater. And I worked in the performing arts industry for uh, years. Uh, And Sondheim to everyone in that industry meant something. uh, It was very, very important to them. And uh, when I heard he died, there were, there were just countless tributes on Facebook from many of my friends. Um, 
And I just felt very uh, stunned by it. I wasn't expecting how hard it would hit me. And then it really started to hit me. And then I wasn't even listening to the songs, but I would just, there are so many, so many of his songs are just in me that I don't even need to think about them. And I can remember every note, every, every word, um, the songs that I auditioned with for years, uh, Giants in the Sky from, uh, uh, Giants in the Sky from Into the Woods, Joanna from uh, Sweeney Todd, or No One's Gonna Harm Me from Sweeney Todd, songs like that. If anyone listening to this is not a fan of music theater, I, I still highly recommend that you go on YouTube and just type in Stephen Sondheim best songs or most interesting songs uh, and just give a listen to what he did because it's not just the music. It's not just the words. Both are brilliant, but when they're combined, it, it it's a sublime mix of artistic form. Um, and take a look at some of the shows that he has written and not the big ones, not like just Sweeney Todd uh, or Into the Woods, the ones that are known. Take a look at Assassins, which is about uh, every person who's ever killed or tried to kill a president of the United States. And it's their story. Uh, take a look at uh, Merrily We Roll Along, which is the story of uh, a very passionate, bright young man's road to compromise told in reverse. So the, it, it begins when he is already uh, an old man and uh, and uh, corrupt, and then it goes back to his hopeful beginnings. Uh, go see Sunday or listen to the soundtrack of Sunday in the Park with George, which is probably the greatest thing I've ever heard about art, and the finale of which is the one of the only things that's ever made me cry uh, in the theater watching uh, the, the end of the end of it Sunday. I, I was bawling my eyes out by the end of it. I saw the 19 or 2008 production on Broadway. Anyway, um, I'm not going to take up much more time here, but Stevenson, I meant so much to me and so much to the person I became my artistic taste, my taste in music and, uh, and much of my music literacy came about from trying to learn his songs and not just learn, but also do justice, interpret those songs. So, uh, yeah, when I, whenever I'm on rhythm encounter and I'm talking about music, my understanding about like, whenever I talk about character or things like that, or how songs, uh, impact a story's plot, like any insight I have into that, if I have any, is partially due to uh, the influence of Stephen Sondheim. So yeah, uh, he died a few days ago, and it is extraordinarily sad. Now, he died at 91. It's not like he died a young man, um, but he was working on a show before he uh, passed on, uh, a brand new one. First since, uh, I think I think his last show was Roadshow in 2008. So it would be lovely if we got a look at that. And I don't know if it will be good or not, but it will give us an insight into who that man was uh, late in his life. And it might be a last gift. Anyway, um, thank you, Mike, for letting me say something. And uh, yeah, if anyone listening is even remotely curious about who Stephen Sondheim was, please give his music a listen because I think you're going to find something quite remarkable. I don't think there's been anyone like him in music theater in the entire history of music theater. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. You know, like you said, like I know we're an RPG music podcast, but uh, you know, it, he was such a big name just in the music world. Period. So, and obviously important to you. So I thought it was a good time to, you know, we'll bend the rules a little bit for that. Thank you. I'll, I'll be bending the rules somewhat over the course of this podcast with some of the choices I made. You'll 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 see what I mean later. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sondheim was so influential and his catalog was so wide. Uh, and I don't think Jono even mentioned West Side Story, which is which is insane to that that uh, that Sondheim had a career 
spanning more than 50 years and was active until the last few weeks uh, before his passing. So it's a, an, an incredible loss and he's being celebrated and mourned uh, very, very justifiably over the past several days. Yeah. And West Side Story, uh, the new movie version uh, being directed by Spielberg is coming out in a few months. Right. I'm 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 still I'm still used to the uh to, to the George Shakiris version from from the the 60s or early 70s but it, it's a it was one of the first music movie musicals I ever saw like that and I don't know you know your Wizard of Oz's and Singing's in the Rain uh oh, it's a great it, film it's it's a, it's one of the best old school musicals I was in it in grade 12 I uh, played Tony in grade 12 um Stephen Sondheim's lyrics are so deep um yeah, I mean, West Side Story is just a brilliant show, and there's so many great, bizarre versions of it. I think Cher has a one-woman show version of West Side Story, I believe, where she plays every every part. Uh, there's an operatic version of West Side Story where everyone's just an, of like an opera star, and they sing it like opera, and it sounds just so weird. It's, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's going to be interesting to see the film. I mean, I, I think the new one uh, does have Rita Moreno coming back for it, but she's She's playing like the grandmother instead of the uh, instead of Maria's best friend. So yeah, she's probably not playing Anita. Although that yeah. would have been amazing. <laughs> that would have been incredible if, if Rita Moreno, who's definitely ninety years old or something, was playing Anita again. I bet she could still dance America, though. I wouldn't probably, put it past oh, her. She was also like a uh, she was the special guest in like a top five episode of the Muppet Show. So yeah, my, my Rita Moreno love rolls deep. But uh, yeah, <laughs> so so does my love for Stephen Sondheim. He, he will be missed. He also loved video games uh apparently he he was apparently at one point he thought about making into the woods into an adventure game really yeah that, that, that probably could have worked oh thank good yeah i'm I, so glad that that is true because i really didn't know how to like segue into the music again so that's actually really fascinating yeah adventure adventure games video games Woo. And we even have an adventure game later today. And a video game with adventure in the title. Which actually is where we're starting. Um, so if you're not tired of talking yet, Jono, uh, you want to introduce your first track? Yeah, sure. Uh, so like we were talking, we're going to do like all NES games today. So uh, my first track is the overworld theme from Zelda, but not the Zelda you might be expecting. So it's the overworld theme from Zelda 2 Adventures of Link, uh, composed by Akito Nakatsuka. Yep. And it's, I think it's Adventure of Link, not Adventures of Link. Is it? Okay. Well, there's something I didn't know. <laughs> All right. Let's just... Good catch, Solosi. Adventure <laughs> of Link. Crepes. Okay. The Adventure of Link. Yeah. I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Adventure of Link, right. Yeah. The Adventure of Link. Yes. All right. There we go. I, 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 when you said Adventures of Link, I'm like, wait a second. Some, there's... Something in the back. There's only of my one head of them. Is he saying this is off? <laughs> it, it's funny. Overworld. I assume that could really be the title. I, I think several of the songs today, because we don't have real album releases, we're just kind of guessing on the song titles. But you know, what else are you going to do? That's the Nintendo's entertainment system. Exactly, and that's true of mine too. So I have at least what shows up on YouTube as Snowy Fields, because that's where it plays in the game. Um, if it's, the song has an actual name, I don't know. So we're going to call it Snowy Fields from The Guardian Legend, which is something I wasn't really thinking I would bring on today, but, you know, I did anyway. So let's go listen to Overworld from Zelda 2 and Snowy Fields from The Guardian Legend.
Okay, full disclosure, I do not love this song. Um, Adventure of Link is not a game that I have a tremendous amount of uh, nostalgia for. I did choose it because I feel like Zelda 2 doesn't get enough attention. Um, notice that I didn't say love there, I said attention. <laughs> I think Zelda 2 is such a forgotten piece of Zelda history. Like, it's never referenced, it's never, like, no one talks about it. The side-scrolling RPG Zelda game, I feel, could make some kind of a resurgence in the near future. I've said this on other podcasts. I, I, I think that with uh, Nintendo's care and everything, and, like, maybe even give it a little bit more of a Metroidvania uh, flair, I think that uh, an Adventure of Link game could be really, really interesting. But uh, I'm here to talk about this song. Uh, and this song does quite a few interesting things. Uh, in that it starts out with the traditional, you know, da, 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 the Zelda theme, everyone recognizes it. And then it transitions into something that I feel is much more like a traditional RPG uh, adventure sound, generic NES sound than the original game. Like the original Zelda theme is iconic. Everyone can sing it off the top of their head. Uh, whereas this one, I feel just kind of gives you a generic sense of adventure. And Link is going on an adventure, because it's an adventure of Link. Um, and if it wasn't for the opening, da, 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 I wouldn't have any idea that it's a Zelda track. Um, I think that, uh, I think there's a lot of reasons why this game is forgotten, and I think that the soundtrack might be one of them. There's some good stuff here, don't get me wrong, but there's nothing iconic. There's nothing that people really remember. Um, and uh, I think that... Uh, there is one thing that I do love about this track uh, and it's about 36 seconds into it and I was listening to it and I, I tried to I, I tried to figure it out uh, and I actually used my music theory for the first time in quite some time and I think this is right there are uh, at about 36 seconds there are four sets of triplets so the they're triplets uh, in the first one and then underneath it at one point there are a set of four eighth notes playing underneath it which aren't exactly at the same rhythm of the uh, of the triplets and it creates this chaos this moment of utter musical chaos uh, under it just before the uh, loop uh, resets itself and I, I love it it's such a cool moment uh, where your ear is listening to it and your ear is just like wait what 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 because it almost sounds in unison but it's not and it's it's really a cool moment so yeah i think there's some interesting stuff going on in this song uh and i think there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in this game but i also feel like it just didn't really live up to its potential i would love to see a remake of this game uh and by from nintendo and see where they took it so yeah that's uh that's what i think of this tune what do either of you think well um th this uh, song does surprise the listener who is probably expecting the Zelda main theme only to hear only to hear a variation on the Zelda main th main theme about five to ten seconds in but then the, mm -hmm. but what once it gets going it's it's sort of very comfortable and gets and uh, and becomes its own song but it's it's like it's I think it's deliberately trying to tell the listener or the player uh, this is Zelda but it's not that Zelda uh, and I have my own frustrations about Zelda 2. Uh, it, it, I, I don't think I made it past the third temple when I attempted to play it as a child more than 30 years ago. Or it's freaking hard. Yeah, maybe right at 30 years ago. And it, yeah, because it's it's quite difficult. And um and and it's it's it reminds me a little bit of Castlevania 2 Simon's Quest because it's this non-linear 2D side scroller 
with uh, RPG elements, but but it doesn't really feel like an RPG of that era. Uh, but if it were to be remade, and I think this game is, is perfectly ripe for a remake, just as you suggested, Jono, uh, like, it, it probably would have more Metroidvania elements and better sort of, uh, you know, better breadcrumbs to where you're supposed to go or, or where is the logical next place to go. But uh, yeah, it's it's really hard, and that frustrated me as a kid. Frustrated me a lot as a kid, and I think maybe the two big legacies from this game are uh, uh, Link's downstab in the Smash games, and all of the towns in this game naming several of the Sage characters in Ocarina of Time. Mm -hmm. And the temple theme. Yes, the temple That's... theme is is maybe the, probably the most iconic song from, uh, from Zelda. Yeah, you're right. I should have mentioned that in my little preamble there, but yeah, that is recognizable. Yeah. But the well, downstab, I mean, that downstab is crucial. You are not a Link player in 2021 without knowing when to downstab. <laughs> That's true. Um, yes. Let's see. What can I still talk about? I know I know. every episode, at least one of us is always going to have to say, it's like, oh, well, those were all of my notes. But, you know, they were. Like half my notes <laughs> about that were that I think Zelda 2 is really interesting and weird. And I like it in its way, but it's also... It just it's just strange um i can never get over the fact that for some reason you know playing when i was younger like i'm like i know in the first game link has a sword and i couldn't figure out why in the second game he decided to trade it in for a dagger that was about three inches long it just seems like a bad move um but yeah i mean like like you guys both said um i, I think a remake would be really interesting i think i think the concept could work it just wasn't quite there um you know if you get um Oh, shoot, who are they that did the Metroid remakes? Mercury Steam? Mercury something? Um, they, yeah. re they remade Metroid 2 into something that's also playable, because I think it's very hard to go back and play the first, the original Metroid 2 at this point. Um, so, like, I would be really interested in seeing what they could do with it, because they've never done 2D Zelda since then. And, I mean, someone did, but we're not going to talk about those. No, those aren't, those are, uh, <laughs> yeah, no one's going to remake those. And we're never doing a podcast on the music. Uh, no, no. So yeah, I think that would be really interesting. Um, plus, I, mean, I can only imagine what some of the music outside of the temple theme uh, would sound like, like reorchestrated or rearranged, because at least we've heard the temple theme in Smash Brothers. It's, I think what you said is, interesting is the term that most people use to describe the adventure of Link. And I think the reason why is like in retrospect, obviously it was like an evolutionary dead end for the Zelda franchise, but at the time it was the only sequel to the game. And I applaud them for looking at the original game and being like, we want to try something a little bit different, put a new spin on it, maybe take it in a different direction. Uh, because now the idea would be frankly insane because we're so, the, the franchise is so established. But back then there was one title to go off and they wanted to do something else. So they pulled from you know, their side-scrolling background. They pulled from, obviously, Dragon Quest with the overworld um, and did something very interesting. And I don't feel like all the pieces came together properly, but I feel with a little bit of work and a little bit... Some features from today and with our with our knowledge of today and genres of today, I think that they probably could create a mashup of uh, an action RPG side-scroller that would work really, really well with the Zelda uh, aesthetic and uh, storyline. I think so, too. Yeah. So as for the actual song, I, I don't know. I kind of like the song. It, I think I don't dislike it, but it, it, it's it could be worse. I mean, it's it's I think it's good that it uh, it doesn't 
have too many moments of that musical chaos you mentioned, given that it's with you for the entire game on the overworld. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It it kind of has this like you know, marching ahead kind of kind of vibe to it. It's very square. Just done. You know, it's one, two, three, four. Yeah. Now me, I can't hear it. Like when I was listening to it, taking my notes for this, like I couldn't get more than like seven or eight seconds in without like in my head, I would just keep hearing the the random battle sound start that like weird zoomy <laughs> sound effect, um, which was always like, okay, I'm going to go fight these things or, oh, I really do not want to be in this forest full of like, you know, spiders hanging from trees. So I'm going to leave now. Um, so it was a weird flashback for me because that's what I kept thinking of. Yeah, but you always want that feeling of forward momentum in an overworld theme where uh, like, where you feel like you're marching or running or, or adventuring. And, and I think that, this, that, uh, that the overworld in Zelda 2 does accomplish that, but it's, it, I think they also accomplish that in, uh, in your track from Guardian Legend, Mike. Ooh, good segue. I actually had a really good segue that Jono also set me up for, for like mixing genres, but then I really wanted to say what I wanted to say, so I ruined it. So thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, so Guardian Legend. Um, it's interesting. It's one of my favorite games on the NES. And for some reason, for the longest time, I did not really think of it as an action RPG. I, w- I was looking up some lists of, you know, people's favorite RPGs on the NES for this episode. Because I, I had some things I wanted to bring, but I wanted to see if there was something I was not thinking of. And one person, one person put this on there and I thought, you know, yeah, why not? It, it has moments of RPG. But um, uh, it's interesting too, like, until I was writing my notes for today's episode, I didn't realize that both games or both songs that I picked today were games developed by you know, Japanese companies and then published in the U.S. by Broderbund, um, who, you know, if anyone had a computer or was growing up in like the 80s and 90s, you know, for me, Broderbund was the company that made the print shop like desktop publishing and they just made like productivity software um and like it really got me thinking like it's so weird and interesting that a company making stuff like that like for computers and just like software somehow somewhere over there took the chance said you know what we should not only like get into like publishing video games for consoles that but we should actually pull these like weird like japanese rpgs and other japanese games that would probably never have released here otherwise and it's really, I don't know, I just find that really fascinating because what a, what a, I don't know, I just wouldn't think most companies would do that back in the 80s. Like, it just seems like a real chance move, but I appreciate that. I, I think I didn't know that. I think that's really cool. I wonder if it was just like the owner being like, I feel boring at work every day. I just make productivity software. I want to be known as the fun boss. I know. Somebody contact some people over in Japan. Let's let's release a game. That'll be awesome. Right. And they did. Um, I actually I don't even I don't know offhand like what the first one was, but you know, like this Guardian Legend was made by um, Irem and Compile, which turned into I don't know if they're Compile Heart or Compile. I don't know. There was some weird history there. I think they spun off into this, but anyway, like Compile was a big developer back then. And um, anyway, so the game itself, since I think. At least one of you guys mentioned you hadn't heard of it, and I don't know how many people really have heard of it. Um, but it's all right. So it's kind of it's kind of an action RPG in the sense that it has this kind of open world, overworld with a bit of a Metroidvania feel because you can you can kind of go where you want, but you need access to certain keys and doors and certain weapons to get to certain places. Um, so like think of it like an overhead, like an old school Zelda. You have your overhead map. 
um, except you have eight directional movement and guns and lightsabers. And also your protagonist is like this like android girl who turns into a jet and all the dungeon segments are like top down vertical shooters. I mean, I don't know who came up with this weird combination, but I love it, you know, and then you, you, your life and some other stuff can upgrade all these different weapons, sub weapons you pick up can upgrade and they change forms as they upgrade. So I don't know. It seems RPG enough to me. I think you're right. I mean, I've never really played the game, but I looked at some stuff online and watched some gameplay and a let's play. And I think you're, I mean, it's a really cool idea to mix together like an action RPG with a uh, thick shooter like uh, Galaga which is, it's an intriguing idea. It is. And then like your, your sub weapons too carry through to that. So, you know, if you really like your lightsaber weapon, like even in the shooter sections, you can just, you know, use this lightsaber as a shooter, which is also not a thing you'd normally expect. But yeah, all that aside, I really like the music in this game. So it, it was a tricky choice as usual. Like I'm always torn between so many songs when I find a game I really want. Um, so I chose this song, this Snowy Fields one, because um, I really like, I think it's really interesting getting a song like this that has like a real weight to it. Um, not necessarily bass, just it has this weight, kind of like this sort of, uh, I don't know, for lack of a less dramatic term, like a grim determination to it. Because I, mm -hmm. I, I think this is used pretty far into the game. Like, I don't remember exactly when you get to each zone, but it feels like a maybe a later game area. And I just, I think it's an interesting one that it has this weight to it, but that has those weird, like high pitched, like ping sounds, um, which I know we've talked about it on the show before. Like, you know, it, it sounds like winter or it sounds like snow. And I don't know why, I don't know why we associate like high pitched, like jingle bells or whatever with like snow and stuff like that. But like, it sort of works to me because of that, whatever that is that says, oh, that's kind of wintry or cold sounding. It's obviously because of Santa Claus, Mike. I mean, come on. Don't want to get Santa upset with you. No, 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 He's no. going to give you coal in your stocking. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. This is Guardian Legend. We're not talking about Secret of Mana. <laughs> oh, yeah, and, and, sure. I mean, he, I, mean, he, I guess uh, St. Nick does allow himself to be represented in Japanese media occasionally. But, I mean, come on. Like, don't, don't make the big man upset. Okay, I'll try not to. Especially now. I actually want to get good stuff this year. Right. Um, but, yeah. So, assuming I'm right about it being a later game area, I think it that weightiness uh to it really works in its favor um but so that's that's me um what do you guys think uh i think that it uh I, like i personally i think it actually would work as an earlier game stage uh i agree with it like the high pitched like the tings and things like that at the beginning of the song are really interesting but for me the uh driving sound uh the the hero's theme so to speak uh in in the quote-unquote bridge the Dun, 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 dun. It, it, for me, that's kind of like a hero theme, like determination kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it would work as an earlier thing, an earlier theme as well. Um, the song is super, super short. Like it's by far the shortest. Uh, it's a 25 second loop, which makes it the shortest uh, song that we have here. But it's weird because I don't find that it gets repetitive. I find that there's enough going on in that 25 seconds uh, that it uh, stays fresh. Um, which is, you know, super important for an NES game because you're going to be listening to this nonstop. Um, I, uh, I think it's, uh, I also think it's probably one of the most catchy tunes uh, in today's, in today's group. This is the one that I just, you know, I, I find myself humming it 
that kind of thing. I, I really like this song. It's it's really cool. Um, I have no idea how it's used in game, but it's a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool little 25 second track that really works on a number of levels. I I felt like this song almost should have had lyrics. Like like this this feels almost like a, a the way that the sort of melody is very persistent, but has the the bass and those pings accompanying it. Like I, I thought this is almost like an 80s glam rock song. That was just that that uh, you know it was just very brief and adapted to eight bit uh, uh, to, to an eight bit soundscape. It um it, it, it's very catchy. It it uh it feels like it's like it, it it feels like like marching or or you know some kind of feeling of movement, which I also associated with uh with your other track that you picked for this episode, Mike. <laughs> um, but the I, I don't know for some reason I was I was imagining just like like someone alone on stage like singing this with like Jono said grim determination or just a just a sense of purpose all right well i'm glad you guys both got that sense sense too then so i was on the right track i think yeah i think the key part about any nes uh song is the composers had a very limited amount of time and a limited amount of sound channels to be able to do uh, accomplish what they needed to and I think that, again, having not played the game, but I imagine that this accomplished what it needed to very well. It drives it forward. It has some high-pitched dings, which seem to indicate, you know, winter for me. I think it does what it's supposed to do. And I think it's a testament to the composer that they did. I agree. So, yeah. I mean, the last thing I'll say is, like, if you can have a moment or get a chance to play the game, I think it's a really just, again, it's a really interesting mix of genres and gameplay types. So I think it holds up. I don't think it's just nostalgia. There are still there are like multiple you know fan sites that I was looking at a fan site earlier today and they last updated and put some new fan art up uh, eight days ago. So oh wow, there's there's still people like talking about this game and celebrating it. So I think that's pretty cool. That's the mark of a passionate fan base. Yeah, no kidding. Um, speaking of passionate fan bases, that didn't work. Uh, no, no, no. I, I, the, the transitions you want for the next game to talk about are. Uh, either talking about a game that does not have a passionate fan base or a game that actually has more than the usual number of channels of audio. Yes. And what game would that be? Uh, right. My first track for this episode is Warriors of Sorrow, which is a boss uh, fight track from Lagrange Point, one of the, a, a late stage 1991 NES game made by Konami. Okay. And then Jono has a song after that. Yeah. Uh, my song is... Uh... I'm, I'm not going for an RPG. I'm going for an adventure game. And it's going to be Dave's theme from the Nintendo uh, Entertainment System version of Maniac Mansion. This is such an interesting song. I can't wait to get to this part. It's it's interesting, yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's go listen to Warriors of Sorrow and the boys are still back.
So, Lagrange Point. Uh, this is a really unusual game. It, uh, I hadn't heard of it until it had a, uh, a fan translation completed around seven or eight years ago. And after which point I uh, did a little bit of research on it and was really impressed with the story of this game. Um, not story of the actual playing the game, it's just the story of what this game is. Because uh, Konami, maybe probably more than any other developer that worked on the NES and Famicom, uh, really played around with sound chip technology. They introduced two kinds of chips called VRC6 and VRC7 that had six channels of audio instead of four. And the VRC7 chip, which uh, Lagrange Point, I think, was the only game that used, uh, was able to do a certain way of modulating the audio that got that basically got tones out of the that sound chip that don't sound like anything else on the NES. And, and they didn't use all six uh, sound channels for every song. Like uh, in a lot of games, or pretty much all NES games, whenever a character does a sound effect, like Mega Man shooting or Mario jumping, they have to briefly cut out the music from one channel usually the, the bass or percussion just to accommodate that sound but with a with with a six channel chip um like like for lagrange point or the japanese version of castlevania 3 uh, konami was able to have a consistent soundtrack that wouldn't cut out during um action noises but lagrange point is an rpg set on a series of space stations so it's a it's a sci-fi sci rpg i've tried to play it a couple times over the years but it didn't really get that far because it's a, a very very clunky rpg from on the nest from 1991 but its music with that unique vrc7 chip is really unusual and interesting it has like uh modulated audio that allows it to climb tones up and down and has bass that sounds like a Genesis uh, uh, soundtrack. And uh, this song, Warriors of Sorrow, is uh, is really the, um, I think the best encapsulation of, well, it's, it's my favorite song on the soundtrack. It's just, it's just catchy and interesting and it conveys an intense battle pretty well and it shows off that weird uh, late stage NES sound. I didn't. I didn't know that. Um, well, anything you said, uh, but the the sound chip thing. Because when I was listening to that song, uh, I I picked up on what you said. Like I'm like, this does not sound like an NES game. Like there are sounds here I've never heard in an NES game, and now I understand why. I thought at first it was just an arrangement or not actually from the game because of that. No, it's 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 the real deal. Um, but I think Konami only had something like four games with late stage VRC sixes and sevens. And again, two of them are Lagrange Point and the Japanese-only version of Castlevania Three. But it, it's it like it, it doesn't sound like an NES uh, game. But this is you know one of the last NES games that Konami made. Yeah. No, I like it. Um, you know, even though you know spoilers for later. Like even though I'm the one that picked like a Falcom song here, this one made me think of a. Uh, it gave me some Falcom vibes. I think just because it ha sort of has like a rocky feel to it, and then the the bass, the Genesis bass, like you mentioned, was also just a really standout thing. You know, it really really interesting. I gotta listen to the rest of the of the soundtrack now. I knew about the Castlevania three chip because I've heard the comparisons between the NES versions and the uh, Famicom versions, which is quite stark actually it's really cool if anyone ever checks that out on youtube uh, i didn't know they used it in more games though so i think it's really cool that they uh put it in this rpg that being said i gotta be honest this song puzzles the hell out of me because it starts out and it sounds like it's building like kind of this epic battle theme and then it like shifts over and it almost sounds like uh some really catchy like stage theme music from like 
the game that came to my mind, which is appropriate because it's also Konami, was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, uh, the arcade game, uh, for like the entire middle section. And then it kind of shifts over again into much more traditional RPG combat music, like a boss theme, and that was it was working for me. And it, it just starts building and building. And then it goes into this bizarre little section at the end of the loop that works as a transition to restart, but it's like completely different in like sound and theme. And uh, it, it just, it's a completely, it almost sounds like a completely different little piece of music that was like attached to the end of this track. Uh, and it just like releases all of the tension. And then the tension starts building again from the beginning, which having never played the game, I feel like would create a very interesting feel in the battles. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's like, it's like four tracks of music that have been combined into a single track and it's really really cool like this is not a i'm not saying i dislike it it just it puzzles me yeah i I remember thinking that uh uh the songs this most reminded me of were the boss battle themes in lufia 2 just because they're they're definitely rock influenced and rooted in that but then they go places that almost seem like genre switches or song switches in the middle of this in the middle of the track but really, the reason I brought this on from a, a, a pretty obscure game was because I just wanted to talk about NES sound chips uh, technology for a little bit. It's uh, the, the, the I, I, I did some background Googling while uh, Mike and Jono were talking. Uh, the only games that used those late stage Konami chips were Lagrange Point, Castlevania 3, uh, Esper Dream 2, and Madara. So... Yeah, uh, um, kudos to you, listener, if you already knew that ahead of me having to go to work. You know, I love listening to music here and also just learning things from everyone. So I didn't know it, at least. So thank you for sharing. <laughs> I, I, I knew that uh, about those Konami sound chips for several years, but I did not have every game that used them off the dome. <laughs> but I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a, you know, uh, a chiptune technology maniac. Um, but Jono, let's talk about a different kind of maniac. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, it's interesting because the people who were working on, uh, obviously, these Konami games were, you know, they were really into the technology and they really knew video game music. And the people who worked on the music from uh, the NES version of Maniac Mansion apparently knew very little about it. So, uh, yeah, the the song is called The Boys Are Still Back uh, by Fat Patty. Um, And this is Dave's theme from the uh, NES version of Maniac Mansion. And it is a, it's a flat out parody of The Boys Are Back in Town by Thin Lizzy, right down to Thin Lizzy, Fat Patty. Um, I cannot believe that this is an NES game uh, song. I can't believe that it's in an NES game. Because, yeah, it sounds a little bit crunchy because it's an NES sound card. But it doesn't sound like it was done on the NES sound card because it's so, it's, it's incredibly complex for an NES song. It sounds like a rock song because it isn't a rock song. Uh, it's not a loop. It's not like a 30-second loop or anything like that. It's a full minute and 30 seconds that goes through three completely different sections that are a verse, a chorus, and a bridge that brings it back to the chorus again. Um, and what really blows my mind about this song is that it's not the only song like this. Every single song uh, in the NES version of Maniac Mansion is like this. It is, uh, they're like full, they're like full-length minute 30 songs in a variety of different styles. Uh, so when I was a kid, uh, Maniac Mansion for NES was my favorite adventure game. It was the only adventure game I ever played. Uh, it was not fun playing with NES controller and not using a mouse, but it was my favorite uh, game. And over the years, I've learned a little bit about the creation of Maniac Mansion for NES and just the utterly insane story of this game uh, even existing, but the the hoops that they needed to jump through. So musically, maybe I'll talk about some of the other uh, like 
hoops in a second, but for music, apparently they, they did the game. They, you know, were creating the game and everything. And Nintendo said, wow, it's really quiet. Where's the soundtrack? Is it like, are you still working on it? And they were like, oh, no, we, we don't really want a soundtrack. It's kind of the original game only had like a couple of songs. We're trying to create like an, an, an element of ambiance in the mansion and creepiness. And Nintendo was like, no, you need a full soundtrack. It's a Nintendo game. You need all the music. You need soundtrack. So uh, the composer, a guy named George Sanger, uh, had a band that was called Team Fat, uh, which is probably where Fat Patty came from. Uh, so uh, he he went out and he talked to like a bunch of his like composer friends and like other like members of his band and things like that. And they just wrote music for the game. Like these were not game composers. These were, they were just rock musicians. So they wrote songs and then they digitized the songs using the Nintendo sound chip, which is why it doesn't sound like anything else uh, on the system, in my mind anyway. And like these songs are pretty iconic if you played the game because you listen to them all the time. Each kid has their own tape deck um, and uh, you can, it's an item. It's like it's in your inventory and you can even like trade these uh, tape decks between characters if you want to like trade music and stuff like that. So yeah, it's... Uh, it's a parody of a very famous rock song that was written by rock musicians who had no interest or any idea about how to write video game music. And they did, and it created something super unique in my mind. And I think it's such a cool track. Yeah, I mean, it, when you told me that story, I don't know, a few weeks ago at this point, like, I, I couldn't I couldn't get over it. Like, there's, there's the whole, there's a whole other story about that, like, just of, you know, 1980s Nintendo about like the requirements and the stuff you had to have to make a game but I, oh, it's crazy. I had I mean I knew you know we all knew some of it we knew about how their their thing with violence and some other stuff and swearing or you know religious symbols um, but I had no idea until recently that they were that way about music like you you can't have a game that doesn't have a lot isn't just solid music you can't have quiet moments I, like I never would have guessed that was a requirement yeah it's 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 crazy and I mean some of the story of Maniac Mansion like there's an entire article. It's a very famous article. I think it was released in 1993, just about the guy whose job it was to like program the game and take stuff out that drove Nintendo crazy. Like some of the things, for example, uh, with Nintendo, you could have no nudity or no sexual references. So they had to like remove art pieces that were in the mansion that were like classical art pieces. Uh, at one point, there was like a mummy pinup calendar. They needed to, you know, of a, of a pinup calendar, but it was a mummy. They had to remove that. They needed to change all of. Uh, uh, one of the characters' dialogue because the character was kind of like boy crazy and uh, a lot of sexual innuendo, and they had to remove it all and make her motherly. Uh, they had to change the name of one of the video games in the arcade was called Wow, I think I might have to bleep this. Was called Muff Diver, and they had to change it to Tuna Diver. Um, I think the the and then there was the funniest one in my mind, which is in the, in the closing credits, uh, they had something that was like saying, uh, "Brought to you by NES Scum." Uh, because uh, Scum was the it, it script creation utility for Maniac Mansion, which is what they uh, built the game on. And Nintendo was like, what's NES Scum? And they're like, oh, Nintendo Entertainment System script uh, script creation utility for Maniac Mansion. And Nintendo's like, yeah, but it sounds like you're calling the NES Scum. We can't have that in this game. You need to remove that. Um, and yet they completely uh, missed or didn't care about the fact that you could microwave a hamster. So, you know, Nintendo in the 80s, <laughs> hey. I mean, that's okay, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe it was the characters who did it were, like, the two punks. They were, the, like, the two ones who are... In, the only two who can actually microwave the hamster are the two rock musicians, Sid and uh, Razor. Every every other kid is like, you're sick. And they had those two are like, this is cool. Also, I, 
I kind of think uh, Tuna Diver, not really much safer. I'm amazed they actually got away with that even. Yeah, I think that they may, I think that they just may have worn down the sensors and they were like, ah, Tuna Diver, whatever, it's fine. I think we might need to leave Muff Diver in there. Otherwise, it's, if I bleep it, it's going to sound like it's something way worse. Yeah, I think so. I think it's fine. <sighs> yeah, we're not Nintendo in the 1980s. <laughs> no. Yeah, telling Dragon Quest to replace their crosses with tridents, because that makes sense. <laughs> no, oh, it's, uh, I forgot about that. Yeah, churches weren't allowed to have crosses in the old Dragon Quest games. So have either of you played Maniac Mansion? Like, any of the versions? I have not. I also have not. The, um, I've only played later LucasArts games. But, uh, I, I mean, I was, from the title of this song and from listening to it for a few seconds, I in- immediately realized that it was a a semi-parody of the boys are back in town, but I was not aware of the, of the fat Patty, thin Lizzie uh, wordplay there. That, that That's pretty great. <laughs> but they, they, they really did capture the feeling of a sort of like a, like a retro influenced garage rock kind of song with this. And it's, um, it, it, it has, a, it, it's, it's unmistakably NES and has a lot of personality to it. It was, it was a very fun listen. Thank you, Jono. Yeah. Uh, there is a, there's a band on, hang on, uh, there's a band on, it was, I wonder if I can find it, Dave's theme, uh, Descendants of... Uh, oh, Descendants of Virgin. Yeah, oh, they, yeah, they do. They're um, great. Yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they're really good. And, and uh, they're, you know, named after... Uh, oh, yeah, of course they are. Yeah, they're, they're named after the characters from Dragon Quest Two. Yeah, they have a uh, they have a cover of Dave's theme on YouTube. I'll, I'll send it to you, Mike, so you can include it in the show notes. Uh, but it's, it's awesome. And, and I should mention, Erdrick is the hero from a prequel Dragon Quest game and the the, char- the main characters of Dragon Quest 2 are referred to as the descendants of Erdrick because they're, they are cousins who are descended from the original Erdrick. Sorry. Clarify that. Right. Thank mm-hmm. you. I appreciate it. We can always we can always depend on Solosi to uh, provide clarity for Dragon Quest games. Exactly. Yeah, I, there's a couple series I can do that for and Dragon Quest is certainly one of them. Oh yeah, so. Alright, yeah, we'll put, we'll put a link to that and um, We'll make sure that we put a link to that article about Maniac Mansion too, because that was that was a really fascinating read. So it's so it's it's just crazy, and you can hear the guys. I don't know who wrote it, but like you can hear his tone. Like even years later, he's just like Nintendo. <laughs> yep, <laughs> he's just so just so done so, with Nintendo's uh, sensors. Yeah, it's not the best version of Maniac Mansion either. Like if you're looking for a version of Maniac Mansion to play. Uh, I would use a it was a it was a fan uh, remake called Maniac Mansion Deluxe, which I would say is the best version of the game. But yeah, I mean, it was designed by Ron Gilbert and Gary uh, Winnick. And if you're looking for a game that they designed much more recently, you can play Thimbleweed Park, which is also great. Ooh, I keep hearing that. Yeah, I'm guessing that the remake of that one is a PC based game. They, re- they re- yeah. remade the PC one, not the NES one. Yeah, they remade the PC one. Uh, there are I think there are NES references in it, but yeah, they just a bunch of fans years and years ago remade it using Adventure Game Studio. Oh, that's cool. It's 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 a great version. I think it's the best version of the game. Um, or if you if you actually want to play it and you know you already own the uh, recent remaster of Day of the Tentacle, you can play Maniac Mansion on uh, Weird Ed Edison's computer. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's a uh, it was a Easter egg in the original version of the game, and I'm pretty sure that you can uh, do it in Maniac Mansion or in the remake as well. I always think it's really cool when games have like full games hidden inside them. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's maybe another series that the two of you like a lot that does a lot of that. Hmm, no idea what you could be referring to. I don't know. Absolutely no idea what I've been referring. Yeah, I, th- I think we're going to do an episode of Rhythm Encounter about whatever that series is one day, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't be opposed. <laughs> I didn't think so. We've teased it. It'll come. 
Yeah. At some point. I am looking forward to that. Maybe I'll have played one of the games by then. Well, let's not go crazy. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> They're all on sale for like under five bucks each right now during the d- during the fall sales on PlayStation and Steam. So you, you should have some in your library by now. Mike. Under five? Jeez. I have a hard time imagining a better value for your money than spending $5 on a Yakuza game. Yeah, that's I, I, I think the collections are like 15 to 20, but you can get Yakuza 0 for 5 bucks. And if you haven't already done that, then I'm not sure we can be friends. Okay. Well, when we're done here, I will go do that because that's that's too good to pass up. Good. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, Maniac Mansion is one of my, I mean, it's, it's, it's a classic adventure game. And the NES version holds a very special place in my heart. Um, I, I would love if they would like release a version of it with mouse support. I would, that would make me happy. And I don't actually think I would want the, uh, the uncensored version. I feel like a lot of the charm of the NES version that made it very unique was because of, uh, the insane, uh, insane censoring demands Nintendo put on them and the ways they got around it. For example, tuna diver. (laughs) If you're pushing for me to title this episode that, I, I'm not going to do it. No, I, I think Ness side story is basically perfect. Oh, you saw yeah. that. Okay. Yeah, I, I did. Okay. I think so, too. I don't think Tuna Diver is. Maybe I'll steal it for a for a random encounter episode at some point, just without any kind of context. Oh, dear. It just makes me think of the, uh, you know, of the Dio song, Holy Diver. <laughs> <laughs> it's depending on where you're coming from, I guess. All right. So I guess it's about time to move on to our last block here. Um, which is my other Broderbund published game. Um, now, to me, as a kid, this was called this game was Legacy of the Wizard, although it's actually Dragon Slayer Four in Japan. Um, how little I knew that I was playing a Falcom game as a kid. So my last pick today is the theme of Zem, which is the dad in the family. And then after that, Solosi has our second to last song in the episode. Right, and. Uh- Maybe you've heard of the series before if you've played a Japanese RPG before. Uh, I picked a track from Final Fantasy III, uh, Priestess Aria, which is the um, sort of uh, shipwreck and water world overworld theme. But I am using the version from the recent Pixel remaster of Final Fantasy III. Oof, so good. Huh, I, I haven't... Fi- Final what? I have not heard of it, actually. Final Fight. It's uh, one of the first games that uh, Yoko Shimomura worked on, actually. Oh, nice. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, so let's go listen to Theme of Zem and Priestess Aria. Thank you. 
Alright, so, Legacy of the Wizard. Um, so I played this with my younger brother, like, many, many years before we knew anything about Falcom. Um, you know, to us, we're like, oh, it's another Broderbund game, because that was the name that was on the box. Um, the famous Broderbund game. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's those guys that made Print Shop. Um, so I And where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? <laughs> there you go. So I don't, I don't, I won't claim to be any kind of an expert on Dragon Slayer before or after this game. So I'm not sure um, how much this deviates from the formula or if it was something new. But, you know, I thought the game was really interesting Like when, when we played it when I was younger. Because you have this whole family, like you, you start out in the house and you basically choose which family member you want to take into the dungeon um so you can choose them in any order as i recall and then each one plays a little differently like some of them jump higher or move faster and then each one has a different play style and that they can use different items and reach different parts of the dungeon so you eventually have to use all of them um, to get through the dungeon and get these items to you know eventually slay the dragon um so i don't know it, it was really interesting and really like nothing else we had played at the time. So it really stuck with me. Um, and of course, so did the music. Um, every character has their own theme. And um, it, it's hard to go wrong with any of them, I think. But I settled on this one, which is Zem's theme. Um, or if you want to go with the um, the English version, uh, Warrior. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't really know why in the in the English one, Broderbund like, stripped like, all of the names out. like. I don't think the names appear in the game at all. It's just in the credits. So in the credits, they're just like warrior and elf or the, the pet's name, monster. Um, but, you know, they actually did have names and they were meant to be a family. Uh, luckily, you know, the fact that they're all in a house and like you can see like there's a dad and a mom and the kids, like even if they didn't have the names and that was all taken away, like it was still clear even then. It's like, oh, well, we're playing this like family of people that are like going into this dungeon and, you know, trying to help their son get this you know legendary sword or whatever but um yeah so zem here the dad is he's meant to be a woodcutter apparently um i'm not sure where that's explained that's just what i read um so you know he's this like you know burly guy and he has the ability to he gets these special gloves and you can move certain blocks in the dungeon that no one else can use so um Again, I, I kind of unintentionally picked two sort of weighty songs, but I thought, like, you know, this is a good example uh, or a good case to use a weighty song for, you know, the guy that can move these big, heavy blocks. So, you know, I think in music now, it's it's not that difficult finding it really, like, heavy or weighty. I, mean, I know I'm saying weighty too much, but, you know, I'll look at a thesaurus later. Um, <laughs> finding songs like that today is, is a little easier because, you know, there's more instrumentation, like, you can put whatever you want in games now. You know, you're not limited by sound chips and stuff like that. So I, I think this one's really interesting that it, it has that feel. Um, even though this is a Falcom game, this was Yuzo Koshiro that did this, I think the whole soundtrack as far as I know. Yuzo Koshiro started out on the Falcom sound team. And I think he worked on the Legend of Heroes games when he was only 20 or 21. And then on East One when he was 22. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, he's he was he was like practically still a student when he composed this. Got started early. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I I'm impressed really that he was able to pull off that feel with the NES sound chip. Um, that you still got this like dramatic feel to it. Um, the and I'm gonna link this in the show notes too, along with you know our regular track here. But the the game was originally on the MSX, and the MS 
MXX version has more bass to it. Like it just, obviously they had different sound capabilities. And um, I think it's good. I don't really know which one is better. They're just both really different sounds. Um, but I, for me, I like the NES one. I like that it has like this like higher, it's kind of like a little crunchier. I don't know, it has, it has some variety to it that just I, I think is really good. Um, you know, and it has like that underlying bass and there's some notes that are kind of, that they're drawn out. So I think it adds to that that kind of like drama to the song. So I don't know. It's it's not like a lot of things I, I heard on the NES. So I, that's why I wanted to bring it on. And again, I don't know how well known you know the game even is nowadays, but it's uh, it's an interesting experience. I uh, didn't know the game at all. I never heard of it before, um, which is a shame because it looks like a game that I probably would have really enjoyed uh, if I had gotten a chance to play it as a kid. I like how it looks like kind of a unique mix of. Uh, of a RPG slash kind of side-scrolling, dungeon-crawling kind of thing. It's a really, really interesting idea. I love the idea of playing as the family with a different, uh, the different abilities. That's a, that's a nice, very advanced idea for the NES. Um, and I like this song, and I like some of the music from the game that I've heard. It's a 38-second it's a loop, which is pretty standard for the time. But I think it's a tremendous... Uh, uh, I would call it a great call to adventure style song. Like it, it really does have that uh, that uh, adventure. I'm gonna say adventure time, not the cartoon, but like it's adventure time kind of like feel to it. Um, I, I I think you're right. I think it's weighty is a decent word to put on it because it does feel a little bit uh, heavier, less I guess tinny than a lot of NES tunes. Uh, and maybe that's because it was released on another platform first, so that was the kind of that it was composed with that platform in mind, and then they had to adapt it for the NES. Maybe that's the reason. I don't know. Right. Well, um, I, I think this is the first time I've heard a song from Dragon Slayer Four before, uh, and I haven't really played any of the old Dragon Slayer games, but I'm aware of their impact because, weirdly, like it was it, for a while, it was Falcom's signature series, but then. Uh, Xanadu sprung out of Dragon Slayer 2 Xanadu and Sorcerian sprung out of Dragon Slayer 5 and then Legend of Heroes which we now sort of associate with the Trails series started out as Dragon Slayer 6 like like three much longer lasting series sprung out of the old 1980s Dragon Slayer games uh, <laughs> that Falcom made so like I, I sort of think of Dragon Slayer as this kind of uh, grandpa series that uh, whose legacy is very much felt even though they aren't really around anymore but uh the way that they incorporate rpg elements with puzzle solving elements and character switching makes it feel like i don't know like like an rpg version of of uh, of north american mario 2 or or maybe like the trine games or something but like just character switch or the lost vikings maybe but like character switching to solve puzzles is a is a pretty modern concept for a 1987 game and that's a and, and, and that's exciting and interesting to me. But um, this song is, it's, it's, what, it's what you've already said. Oh, I, I think I got to fill out that spot on the bingo card. Um, so, uh, someone <laughs> says you already, you, everyone's already said what's on my notes. Um, but the, uh, like, it has that forward momentum of a good, of a good overworld song. It's weightier and thumpier than, um, and, and doesn't use as much of the NES's higher registry, which I'm going to talk about in a minute for the song I picked. Uh, so that it's, it's, but the, the way it like is sort of bouncy makes it feel like, I I don't, makes it feel like a Mega Man track to me. Like, like this is energetic and Mm. it's, it's about adventure and going forward. And it's also catchy at a level that I would associate with 
um, you know, uh, Capcom's signature NES series. Oh, I didn't think about that. I like that. Yeah, you're right. It, it, hmm. it, it, this is this is Yuzo Koshiro writing a Mega Man track. Is what it is, which is basically <laughs> which is basically my dream. I'd play it. Right. Uh, speaking of my dreams, <laughs> uh, I am inc- I'm extremely hyped for uh, all of these pixel remasters that Square Enix has done for the uh, uh, for for PC. Uh, we've had f- the first five Final Fantasies get their PC uh, pixel remaster versions in the past uh, couple of months. And um, when they did the three pixel remasters for the NES games, it's a it's a bigger jump going from NES audio to modern audio than it is from Super Nintendo audio to modern audio. I, I mean, obviously, just because of how many years are in between. But one thing about NES uh, sound chips that I don't love is when they get very high, like in the upper registry, it, it, sometimes there's a shrillness or a buzziness that, uh, that is a little unpleasant. Like when NES songs get really high, they uh, it, it, it sometimes comes across as just, just the, the tone isn't as rich or as pleasant as when they as when they stay in the lower or, or middle registries. So this song, uh, Priestess Aria, is a sort of a sorrowful theme with a which is supposed clearly like either a soprano voice or a, a flute or piccolo or something is sort of the intended voice for it. But it comes across as like a little bit like, you know, someone whistling a little too high, uh, like the way that uh, that very high registry um, notes can be can be unpleasant. So I, I, I don't love, love the NES version of this song, which I think is one of the prettiest songs on in Final Fantasy three. But this pixel remaster version is so good. And it it, uh, it uh, really captures the loneliness of this part of the game. And the and the tragedy of the character of Arya, avoiding some spoilers from a ge- for a game that's uh, thirty years old now. Uh, ar- ar- yes, but the- has recently gotten a remaster. So <laughs> that's true. Ar- around the middle point of the game, the uh, char- the main characters find themselves shipwrecked in a giant ocean, and uh, in order to uh, again avoiding spoilers, in in order to move on to the next part of the game, they have to co- um, collaborate with a woman named Arya, uh, and. But Arya's circumstances are, are tragic, and this game is this part of the game is a giant empty ocean that you know would require some spoiler explanation. So, like, basically, this part of the game is a giant lonely ocean and a woman on a mission. And I think that this song captures both of these things with a really, really beautiful melody in the in flutes and and uh, chorus. It's interesting because I agree with you one hundred percent about uh, the NES sound chip and how the upper register sounds a little bit uh, a little bit shrill. Um, one thing I do like about the NES version of this song is that uh, most NES songs are very much on the beat. They are, it's, it's like, they're very square, for lack of a better word. Um, in this version, uh, the choice of instrumentation, which is a little too high, it gives it a much more dreamy quality, and I always like that. And then they really lean into that with the Pixel Remaster version, uh, because you're right, they use, like, it's a flute or woodwinds, and it's just, it's, it's gorgeous. And uh, what I really like about it is how they, like in the original, it's, you know, again, it's a loop. It's a fairly short loop, but with the pixel remasters, they can continue the loop, but they can add extra instrumentation and uh, and dynamics to uh, the second loop to make it, give it a little bit more of uh, a movement to it. And they really do that here because like at, at about one minute and 30 seconds, things get way grander and bigger and more dramatic and it's so cool. I, I think that's re- I think that's a really uh, 
a really neat thing that they've done with the, these uh, versions of the songs. Um, you, you know, I can't figure out is that we've this is actually our first Final Fantasy three song on Rhythm Encounter, which kind of blows my mind. Ever? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I checked. They didn't even have that uh, famous um, uh, theme of Wind Overworld piece on it. Nope. What, That's... What, what's that song called? Oh, I'm I'm drawing a blank. Can I do some catch? Is it the one that goes do 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 do? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Eternal wind. Eternal. Yeah, eternal wind. Wind. That's it. That's it. Yeah. yeah. I knew wind was involved. I was. But, uh, yeah. I went with. I went with the water song instead of the wind song. Yeah. I was very, very close to bringing um, the Shadowbringers version of Eternal Wind on the 14 episode, but went with something, something else instead. So that almost mm-hmm. would have counted. Um, I'm. Sh- I'm sure Eternal Wind will show up at some point because probably in a few weeks. Yeah, it, and, and unusually, there unusually there is a lot of Final Fantasy three in Realm Reborn in a certain part of the game. Yes, that's true. I'm most familiar with this track because of uh, Final Fantasy Prey, the vocal album. Uh, there's a version of this song on it called "Once You Meet Her," um, and I always found the lyrics to be really, really pretty. Uh, it goes. Uh, uh, and no one knows it where she comes from, where she's going. And once you meet her, you'll find that something inside is changing. And it's a really, it's just a very pretty version of the song. And normally I don't love uh, when lyrics are added to instrumentals. But in this particular case, it's nice. That was a really, really good album, though. I like Pray a lot. Yeah, it is. You're right. Yeah. I haven't listened to it in years, though. Um, yeah. So, you know, I've big surprise. I have not played Final Fantasy 3. You know, I, I bought it on the DS years ago and i just i i could not get into it i did not play it much and um but this the pixel remaster is something is when i'm finally going to rectify that i think the, the ds version is how i finally finished it for the first time i i emulated an nes translation of it oh geez probably 20 years ago but uh did, did not get terribly far and when that ds version came out it was the perfect opportunity for me to cross it off the old list. Oh, nice. So Yeah, I've, I've only ever played the DS version as well, although I do own the Pixel Remaster, and that is next on my list of things to play after I finished Final Fantasy V a few days ago. Oh. Well, while I've listened to the soundtracks on YouTube many, many times, I have not bought any of the Pixel Remasters yet, holding on to faint hope that they'll eventually be on a console or handheld, not in the too distant future. Oh, really? Any any handheld console in particular or something that would <laughs> yeah, be like yeah, a perfect you, fit you, for you, them? You, you could say a specific handheld slash console is where I'm hoping to eventually be able to get them. But uh, I'll, I'll, I, I, I just, I don't know. I, I want to play Final Fantasy games on console, especially since my PC is a, you know, is a jalopy that's hanging on to its last threads of life. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I, I really hope that does. To be fair, Final Fantasy 2 is also like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I really hope that does happen when 6 comes out. You know, me, like, I have a Mac, so uh, it, I will reboot into Windows for one Final Fantasy game nor, on a regular <laughs> basis. Um, and that is Final Fantasy 2. Uh, yeah, that's the one. <laughs> Saga Zero. Um, so, like, I don't want to buy them on Steam because, like, I don't... I, it's just not something I'm going to shut down all of my stuff to reboot and play. So I bought the first pixel remaster on my phone and it's not bad. Uh, it's definitely way more playable than the original uh, Final Fantasy one on mobile because yeah, it just is. Um, so I think they did actually did a really good job making them mobile friendly, but I still don't, I'd still rather play it with a controller. So I'm also holding out for a Switch version of these games. I think that's understandable. Yeah. And, and, and plus, plus I, I've played most of these games multiple times. Like the, the, the uh, I, I've, I played so much of Final Fantasy, say one through nine in uh, through my teens and twenties that I just, 
I, I don't need, know how much I need to replay them anymore. Yeah, <laughs> but, fair. but 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 these on a Switch would get me to at least replay, you know, probably three, five, and six. Mm-hmm. One of the things that uh, I was trying to focus on when I was figuring out who was going to review the Pixel remasters is I very I specifically went for people who have never played the games before. Because, I mean, we all have nostalgia about these games, and I, I didn't want that to impact the opinions. And it was very heartening to see how uh, everyone's opinions about the Final Fantasy games for the NES and the Super Nintendo, they still hold up very, very well. Like, people people love them, and it, it, uh, who have helpful. never played them before. It's helpful to know or acknowledge that these are a game, these are games of a certain time. But with the right expectation, I think that they do hold up. And things like the... Uh, like the story and the music and the job systems in three and five um hold up unusually well yeah five is a i had so much fun playing five and i'm not even talking about like looking at it through a retro lens like it's just it's genuinely like the most fun final fantasy snes game not the best story not the best characters but in terms of mechanics like just a blast it's a great job system and my yeah, my, my multiple bravely reviews on the site uh, should probably indicate how much I love a good job system. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So I think the thing I want as much as a Switch console release, I mean, it'd be nice to have them on all the consoles, but only one of the consoles is the one I'm going to like, you know, play while laying in bed. So that's why I want Switch. Um, I would love a soundtrack release of all of these games because... You know, you can listen to them on YouTube or in the game or the in-game music player, but there are no soundtracks yet, and they haven't announced soundtracks yet, and that's weird to me. I'm sure that it will happen. I don't know if they're going to sell them all in a bundle or what the deal is, but there is just so much good music in these five games so far that they really need to get those out there for people to buy. In in spite of having no evidence at all, I, I am very confident that these are making money for Square Enix, so I think that a... Like maybe they'll wait a year or something because of some Steam release deal, uh, but there's going to be some kind of console release and some kind of soundtrack release. Maybe those two things will be connected. Maybe we can get it on vinyl. I, I, I think it's happening, but it's a matter of time, and I want it. Uh, please let me give you my money, Squirt. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, um, that's actually a good lead-in to our weird. Uh list of links in this episode so i mentioned at the top of the episode that a lot of these games really didn't have albums or even if there was an album uh, you definitely can't get it anymore um so you know normally on rhythm encounter we always have a link in our show notes to our post on rpg fan and we list you know any link we can find for albums so like where you can buy or we can read a review and we're going to be a little bit light on those links this time just for that reason um, in this case, because there's not really a soundtrack for Final Fantasy III, um, I do want to quickly mention what I'm going to link instead is, um, er, was it earlier this year? Um, they released a vinyl a vinyl for Final Fantasy III called Four Souls. And actually, I think it was last year. Um, so th- this is a new thing they're doing. They did a vinyl for Final Fantasy III that had four songs on it. Four original songs from three, and then four brand new arrangements. Um, and even though it's on vinyl, there's also a digital release. And they did they also released a song like or a, an album like this for four earlier this year. Um, so that one I'm going to link. That one is available and accessible. And this particular song is one of the four they rearranged on that album, and it's also beautiful. Um, I think it's kind of hard to mess up arrangements of this song, um, but. That's why we're linking that one, because at least that is a version of this song, a recent release for Final Fantasy III that you can get. 
So I would encourage you to also check that one out while we wait for uh, soundtracks for the remasters. And we'll get them at some point. Oh, yeah. So anyway, so that's what you can look forward to in our uh, links there. But I think this is a good selection of music. So uh, thank you both of you for being on here and sharing. Absolute pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So got a lot of range in here, which, you know, I think it's I think it was a good mix of songs because it shows off the range of, you know, mm. most people's favorite 8-bit system. Uh, a lot of channels. There is. <laughs> sometimes. 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 More so in four. some cases. Yes. Yeah. So If you're Konami, then you might have more than others. But <laughs> All right. So before we get to our, our final, final closing track, let's, uh, let's talk about what's coming next. So in a few weeks, right before Christmas, um, we'll have our 74th episode which has been another long-standing topic, and I have no idea how this one's going to play out yet. Um, it's going to be really interesting, though. So we're doing an elemental-themed episode. So we're going to have four panelists, and everyone is going to pick one or two elements and a song that represents them. Um, I'm really curious how that's going to come out. It's it's a great concept. Um, so that'll be interesting. It's a shame we can't discuss Earth, Wind, and Fire in September, though. Really? Yeah, that's where I went. I mean... Do you do you want to push it back to next September? Say, do you remember dancing in September? <laughs> I do not. I'm pretty sure if you and I danced, I would remember. Uh, some far off E3. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so a- after the Elemental episode, um, we're doing uh, a cocktail-themed episode. Um, also have no idea how that one's going to play out. It was another concept that... Oh, was that your actual concept, Celosi? Yeah, I think I wrote it in as a joke once because uh, I, on, a, on a different podcast, Alana and I were discussing how uh, Chrono Cross is a mar- tastes like a margarita. <laughs> so I, 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 almost as a joke, I, I wrote that episode idea in our shared document, and now it's actually happening. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. We'll see who else can come up with ideas besides that one. Um, Are you guys going to drink your cocktails as the episode goes on? Oh, that would make for some very interesting podcasting. Maybe I will actually uh, sing Bakamitai on the air as you suggested in a recent episode of Rhythm Encounter, Jono. I mean, yes, I'm still hoping for that karaoke episode of Rhythm Encounter that's coming up at some point. Maybe. I will give you the most soulful re- rendition of the Lunar One boat song you have oh ever heard. Oh my god, I want that so bad right now. <laughs> about, about one octave lower. Yeah. <laughs> if If everyone wants to make a drink for their two song picks that might be okay but if the idea is to consume the drinks for all like six to eight songs i don't think i can encourage that like just eight cocktails yeah, by the end of it it's the sloppiest episode that is ever a really bad idea so i think yeah, we might just yeah, the, talk yeah, the, about that's it. how the entire audience will learn that we're all secretly low functioning alcoholics they must have an idea by now right so after that the schedule is a little a little murky um we're hoping, we're really hoping after that we're gonna do uh, we're gonna do an episode on the Pixel Remasters, but it really depends on when Final Fantasy VI comes out, because we want to represent all six of them. Um, so after our cocktail episode, we're either doing a Final Fantasy episode or somewhere around there we'll also be talking about our music of the year from this year. So somewhere in January, those will land. Um, so look forward to that in whatever order they come in. If you want to, you know, talk to us about the show, you can email the show at music at rpgfan.com. If you have thoughts about episodes, if you have ideas for upcoming topics, you know, let us know. Let us know what you think, what you like. 
Um, but don't let us know what you don't like. That's fine. Just tell us what you do like, because we like that feedback best. Again, the track list is on our post on rpgfan.com. If you want to reach me, you can email me at mike at rpgfan.com. And uh, what are the best ways for people to get in touch with both of you? Jono. Uh, well, you can uh, message me at jlogan at rpgfan.com. You can find me on Twitter at Jono underscore Logan. Uh, you can, if you have anything about the podcast, uh, Random Encounter, you can email me at podcast at rpgfan.com. And if you want to uh, reach out to me, the best way to do so is probably Twitter. I am at the Real Monsoon most of the time, at Evoker for Dogs other times. I am Monsoon Mike on the RPG Fan Discord. And if you want to message me about the Retro Encounter podcast, you can email retro at rpgfan.com. And this is normally when I would talk about the other podcast, but since you're both here, I'm going to let you talk about your own shows. So, John, what's Random Encounter about? Yes, Random Encounter is RPG Fan's random podcast so uh alternating mondays with a rhythm encounter we talk about uh features that are up on the site we talk about news we talk about recent reviews uh and yeah it's uh it's gonna it's a good time every every couple of days it's uh it's fun to talk to the people on staff and hear their thoughts about what's going on in the world of rpgs yep and then retro encounter right retro encounter is rpg fans weekly podcast of many topics uh it's it posts usually every Thursday or fr sometimes Friday if I'm a little bit late. Uh, and every month we have a dedicated game that we discuss over two episodes. Last month it was East Origin, and later this month it's Final Fantasy V. Uh, and in in between game journal episodes, we have uh, topics ranging from oh, let's see, uh, just one-off specific game episodes like uh, like Imposter Factory this week. Or uh, topics like the our ten favorite PlayStation games, or I don't know, uh, uh, great RPG dogs and cats. It's every kind of topic imaginable. Uh, we have over three hundred episodes in the backlog, so please check out Retro Encounter. And then, lastly, um, our other, at least the affiliate podcast, is Phoenix Edge which they have not had an episode in the last few weeks. Um, I'm hoping by the time this goes out, maybe they'll have another one. I know all the guys there are just really busy, um, but they are also worth checking out. They do their podcast on YouTube, and it's similar-ish to Random Encounter where they cover general RPG you know, news and topics like that. So be sure to check them out as well. Um, and beyond that, you know, of course, RPG fan itself, we have news and reviews that go goes up all the time and features. Um, we have a Twitch channel, social media. We're, we're on as many things as we can find ourselves on. Um, and that's almost it. Uh, the last thing I will ask, because I ask every time, is if you have a moment to give us a review or follow us or subscribe to us on your podcast channels or apps, whatever it is, whatever you're using to listen to us, like we appreciate that. Um, so that, that helps us, you know, just get out there a little bit more so if you have a moment give us a rating give us a follow and we would appreciate it so unless anyone has anything else uh the last thing here is to have one of you introduce our final bonus track for the episode so Losi, it's all you oh okay all right i, I, I was wondering if someone was gonna raise an preempt you <laughs> yeah like like, like uh, if, if anyone objects to this holy matrimony but uh speaking of Holy matrimony! I'm gonna un I'm gonna unite two concepts that we introduced in the last block, um, songs that have 
that are featured on certain albums and use Okoshiro songs because uh, Mike somehow completely independent of each other. The two Mike's uh, submitted to use Okoshiro songs for this episode. Um, but I'm also going to sort of stretch the limit of what is technically an NES song uh, for this final track. Um, this song is from East one or ancient East vanished. If you want to, you know, go into the taxonomy of it all. Uh, and East one did have an NES version but this song was not in the original cut of East. It was uh, it was removed from the final version of the game. But then subsequent remakes of East in the 90s and 2000s all included this song, and it quickly became a fan favorite. So uh, the song is called Dreaming. Yuzo Koshiro wrote it when he was probably 21 or 22, which completely blows my mind. And uh, my favorite Falcom song of all time is the Rhythm and Blues remake of e, uh, uh, Rhythm and Blues arrangement of Dreaming that was on the 25th anniversary East uh, Silver album, which uh, I know came with special editions of East Memories of Celsetta around uh, eight or nine years ago, and is available on iTunes and Spotify and uh, and other platforms because um, Nihon Falcom is unusually good about putting uh, their albums on digital platforms. Um, so yeah, this is the 25th anniversary remix of Dreaming, which was an East One song cut from the NES version. <laughs> that That is a deep cut, in fact. So I'm glad you brought that on here. It's a really good song. And, and also, I, I just want more uh, more electronica rhythm and blues remix remixes of songs. I mean, this song has a has a killer blues guitar solo right in the middle. It has a really beautiful syncopated piano and just has a it just has a vibe. It, it, it's not an intense rock arrangement or anything, but it is a qualified banger. <laughs> I love it. All right. Let's go listen to that and thank both of you for being here. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye.
compromise, I'm the 2011 New 52 Jeff Johns Aquaman. Also, good thing, bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> There's our blooper. Yep. 